I start with Andrew Jones. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Question one. Deputy Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I've been asked to reply on behalf of my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister. He attended the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in Rwanda, the G7 Leaders Summit, and today he's at the NATO Summit in Madrid. Mr Speaker, I know that the thoughts of the whole House will be with the family and friends of Dame Deborah James following the news of her death. I lost my father at a young age to cancer. I will know uh, firsthand the pain that her family must be feeling. But we also know that Dame Deborah was a huge inspiration to so many and raised millions to help others affected by cancer. Andrew Jones. Nationally, 52% of disabled people are in work compared with 81% for non-disabled people. Disability Action Yorkshire, which is a charity based in Harrogate, works to close that gap, and they have highlighted the success of the Access to Work scheme. For example, one young person, having been told he would never work, is now, thanks to the targeted support available, a trainee brewer at Rooster's Brewery. So will my right honourable friend consider how we can boost awareness amongst employers of this Access to Work scheme, and also consider how we can simplify the application process so more disabled people don't get deterred and will embrace it? Deputy Prime Minister. Can I thank my honourable friend for raising the work of Disability Action Yorkshire? They're doing terrific work in his constituency. I can reassure him that the DWP is committed to improving awareness through campaigns and partnerships with employers but also disability organisations. They're also working uh, specifically on a digital service which will uh, make it more accessible and more visible. Deputy Leader Angela Rayner. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I also share with the Deputy Prime Minister his deepest condolences and his personal experience as we mourn the loss of Dame Deborah James, who fearlessly campaigned to inspire so many, and I'm absolutely sure there's no doubt that she saved the lives of many more. And to the family of Zara Alina, who was tragically murdered this week on the streets of Ilford. Well, Mr Speaker, I also want to congratulate the two honourable members, the new members, who won in the by-elections this yeah. week, including my honourable friend, the member for Wakefield. Yeah. Mr Speaker, this week the Government lost two by-elections in one day, the first in three decades. It's no wonder that the Prime Minister has fled the country and left <laughs> the honourable member to carry the can. The people of Wakefield and Tiverton held their own vote of no confidence. The Prime Minister isn't just losing the room, Mr Speaker, he's losing the country. But instead of showing some humility, he intends to limp on until the 2030s. So does he think the Cabinet will prop him up for this long? I thank the Right Honourable Lady. Um, I gently point out to her that we want this Prime Minister to go on a lot longer than she wants the leader of the Labour Party to go on. Mr Speaker, we've got a a working majority of 75. We're focusing on delivering for the British people. Record low unemployment wouldn't have happened if we'd listened to the Labour Party. Uh, More policing, tougher sentencing in force this week. Police, courts, crime and sentencing act. She voted against both, so did the Labour Party. And we'll we'll protect the public from these damaging rail strikes when we've got the the scene of Labour front benches joining the picket lines. Here we go, a 
again, but the truth is, what I want for my honourable friend, the leader of this opposition, is not to be the leader of the opposition, but to be the Prime Minister of this country. And to be honest, Mr Speaker, it couldn't come quick enough. Britain can't stomach this Prime Minister for another eight years. His own backbenchers can't stomach him for another eight minutes. And if they continue to prop him up, Mr Speaker, I doubt the voters will stomach him for even eight seconds in the ballot box. Now let's imagine, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is still clinging on into the 2030s. Under this tax-high, low-growth Tory government, at this rate, by 2030, the British public will have endured 55 tax rises. So how many more tax rises will this government inflict on working families before he says enough is enough? Minister. Mr Speaker, I think she was right first time. <laughs> Mr Speaker, I'll tell you what we're doing. Uh, record, near record levels of youth unemployment, 3.8% unemployment. We're cutting taxes next month on national insurance, £330 million. We're delivering for families through the, the difficult times of the cost of living. What about the Labour Party? We heard yesterday what their plan is. Their plan is no plan. The leader of the Labour Party said he's wiping the slate clean. He's starting from scratch. He's only been in the job two years. Sir Tony Blair, who's actually got some uh, experience of winning elections, says there's a gaping hole in Labour's policy offer. And all the while... There's a a smile creeping over her face. All the while, she's revelling in it. We're getting on with serving the people of this country. She's just playing political games. Well, Mr Speaker, I'd revel in the opportunity for the people of this country to have more than just by-elections to see what they think of this government opposite. Call a general election and see where the people are, Mr Speaker. And this is a man who once said high levels of government taxation was hurting UK competitiveness. Now he's back in the Prime Minister who wants to put taxes up 15 times. At this rate, Mr Speaker, working people will be paying £500 billion more in tax by 2030. How high does he think the burden on working people should get before he says enough is enough? Deputy Prime Minister. We're we're the ones helping working people with a tax cut cut of £330 with uh, the the, the support for those on the lowest incomes with uh, the £650 support for £8 on the lowest incomes uh, and with, frankly, the record level of investment coming into this country from the £1 billion by Moderna for vaccines to the highest level tech investment in Europe, according to Atomico. We are the ones with a plan for low unemployment, a high wage, a high-skill economy. At Labour, it's back to year zero. Angela Rayner. Mr Speaker, he tends to emphasise with those struggling with the Tory cost of living crisis when it was he himself who once said that food bank users are not in poverty but simply have a cash flow problem. The Honourable Member doesn't. He spent over a million pounds in nine months on private jets. It shows how out of touch this government is, Mr Speaker. But at this rate, by 2030, a million more people will be using food banks. How many more working people will be pushed into poverty by his Prime Minister before he says enough is enough?
I tell you, if the Labour Party, if the right honourable lady wants to help working uh, people, they should be clear in standing up against these militant, reckless strikes by RMT. The right honourable lady has flip-flopped. The right honourable lady has flip-flopped all over the place when it came to these strikes. First she said they were lose-lose. Then she tweeted workers were left with no choice. When she was asked by the BBC, straight question, she's normally a straight-shooting politician, do you like the RMT? She said, I'm going to have to go now. I've got a train to catch. (laughs) She talks about working people. She talks about working people. She talks about working people. Where was the right honourable lady when the comrades were on the picket line last Thursday? Where was she when the Labour front bench were joining them rather than standing up for the public? She was at the Glyndebourne Music Festival, sipping champagne, listening to opera. Champagne socialism is back in the Labour Party. Well, well, Mr Speaker, that says a lot about the party opposite. I'll tell them a few things about militancy. It's this government that are acting in a militant way. Negotiating table, they were at the banqueting table getting hundreds of thousands squeezed out of their donors instead of dealing with a crisis. And he talks about trains. No one can get trains because of his failed transport minister, Mr. Speaker. And I tell you, as a stronger stomach than his. I think we'll just have a little quiet. I want to hear the question, and you'll also want to hear the answer. Angela Rayner. Well, Mr Speaker, I think it's rather ironic that you have to intervene because of the baying mob here when they've got people through their noisy protest laws being stopped after protesting out on the street. The thing is, Mr Speaker, they don't like it when the public say what they think of them. But I tell you, the honourable gentleman opposite has a stronger stomach than his colleagues behind him. Honestly, I want to hear the question, I want to hear the answer. And I hate to say it, so do your constituents. Think about them for once instead of yourselves. Angela Rayner. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And when they were asked about the absent Prime Minister's plans to stick around until 2030, one honourable member opposite said he'd lost the plot. Another one said anyone with half a brain would realise how dire things are. And a former Conservative leader said that the country would be better off under new leadership. And now the Prime Minister is at war with his own Defence Secretary after confirming he will break his manifesto pledge in increasing defence spending. Under this government, Britain is set to have less troops, less planes and less ships. The only thing the Prime Minister's interested in is defending his own job. Just how many more troops have to lose their jobs before he finally says enough is enough? Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, In fact, there's a £24 billion increase for armed forces. Spending on the armed forces is rising to 2.3% of GDP, again making us the largest military spender in Europe. And frankly, we'll take no lessons from the Right Honourable Lady when it comes to security in this country. First thing she did when she became an MP, 2016, voted against Trident, leaving us exposed. And uh, she was campaigning for the right honourable member for Islington North to be Prime Minister, someone who would take us out of NATO. 
Mr Speaker, talking about NATO, where was the Honourable Member when the situation in Afghanistan on a sun lounger? That's where the Honourable Member was. I take no lectures from the Honourable Member when it comes to doing your job. The Prime Minister said he felt no shame over the by-election defeats. He said his government had been quite exceptional. Well, I agree that they've been exceptional, all right. An exceptional record on stagnant wages, rising poverty and broken promises. And the Prime Minister wants to drag this out until 2030s. And how much more can he stomach before he finds the guts, Mr Speaker? How many more tax rises? How many more families drove into poverty? And how many manifesto pledges broken? I hope for the sake of the British public, Mr Speaker, that we never find out. And when will the Deputy Prime Minister finally grow a backbone and tell the Prime Minister the game is up? Mr Speaker, I can't help thinking that my Honourable Lady is auditioning for the leadership contest on that side, not really referring to anything on this side. Well, she's she's got the support of the Honourable Member. I'll tell you what we're doing. We're putting in place the policies to grow our economy, to help... Mr Murray, we've had a good questions already for Scotland. It's not continued. It's not your debate. Come on. Mr Speaker, he was just announcing his support for the Right Honourable Lady in the forthcoming... We're putting in place the economic plan to help people with the cost of living. Uh, The Labour leader uh, is getting ready for year zero. We're the ones supporting Ukraine with sanctions uh, on Russia, with military support. The Honourable Lady voted to uh, abolish uh, Trident. We're the ones making the streets safer, more police and tougher sentencing. Under the Police Crime Sentencing Act in force this week, she voted against both. They got no plan. They're not fit to govern, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the Eden Project North has been five years of my parliamentary life. We've gone through three Prime Ministers, four Chancellors, a plethora of Ministers, but now what we've got to the point is, I've got to the point is that the levelling up bid is going to go in very shortly. We've got a shovel-ready plan, we've got full planning permission. Does my right honourable friend agree with me? It is money worth spending in Morecambe. Mr Speaker, my honourable friend, there is no greater and more tenacious campaigner than the honourable member for his constituents. Um, he'll know, uh, I can't discuss the details of any specific bids, but uh, the next round of funding allocations will be announced in the autumn, so we won't have to wait too much longer. Leader of the SNP, Ian Blight. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I associate myself with the remarks of the Deputy Prime Minister and the Deputy Leader of the Labour Party at the sad death of uh, Dame Deborah James, our thoughts and prayers are with her family at this trying time, and we thank her for all that she has done to raise money uh, for anti-cancer. Mr Speaker, Scotland's First Minister has set the date and started the campaign. Our nation will have its independence referendum on the 19th of October 2023. The reality is Scotland has already paid the price for not being independent. Westminster governments we did not vote for imposing policies we don't support. Breaking international law, dragging Scotland through a damaging Brexit we didn't vote for, and delivering deep austerity cuts. Contrast that with our European neighbours, who have greater income equality, 
lower poverty rates and higher productivity. Mr Speaker, why not Scotland? In the weeks and months ahead, we will make the positive case for independence. Will the opposition, if they can, make the case for continued Westminster rule? Can I thank the Honourable Gentleman? It's always good to see him in his place. Uh, I just... <laughs> No, no, genuinely, it's good to see him in his place. It's not the right time for another referendum, given the challenges that we face uh, as one United Kingdom. And I think, and he referred to some of the challenges in Scotland, uh, but I think actually the people of Scotland want their two governments to work together, and we are uh, keen, willing, enthusiastic to do so. Ian Blackford. There is no case for the union, as we've just heard from the Deputy Prime Minister, because, Mr Speaker, the harsh reality is that the Tories might fear democratic debate but they don't have the right to block Scottish democracy. As the late Canon Kenyon Wright said, what if the other voice we all know so well responds by saying, we say no, we are the state? His answer, well, we say yes, and we are the people. Just last year, the member for Murray, the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, no less, Put it in his own words. A vote for the Scottish National Party is another vote for an independence referendum. Well, you won't often hear me say this, but I agree with him. And so do the Scottish people. Scottish democracy will not be a prisoner of any Prime Minister in this place. So why is the UK government scared of democracy? Or is it simply is it simply that they have run out of ideas to defend the failing Westminster system? Deputy Prime Minister. Yeah, thank the Honourable Gentleman. I think he's rather airbrushing history with uh, that long soliloquy. But look, he wrench mentioned the problems that Scotland faces. Uh, a huge tax burden imposed by the SNP. Uh, the, the Scotland's record on science and maths uh, under the international PISA rankings are now uh, uh, have dropped below England and Wales, and the SNP have presided over the worst drug death rate in Europe, the highest since records began. I think the people of Scotland expect uh, their government in Holyrood and in Westminster to work together to tackle the issues facing them in their day-to-day lives. That's yeah. what Peter Alders. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr Deputy Speaker. There are great opportunities. <laughs> Mr Speaker... There are, Mr Speaker, great opportunities to create exciting new jobs in low-carbon energy along the East Anglian coast, and East Coast College are up for the challenge of providing local people with the necessary skills. However, they and other colleges are finding it increasingly difficult to recruit and retain teachers in such work as fabrication, engineering and construction. Will my right honourable friend ensure that the government come up with a cross-departmental strategy to address this staffing crisis in our further education colleges, which could undermine the levelling up agenda? Obviously deputies there. Come on. My honourable friend is absolutely right, and that's why we're investing nearly uh, £52 million to support the sector in recruiting and retaining excellent staff, and in particular looking and focusing on the experience and the skills that we can often find in industry to train the next generation of technical experts. Neil Hamby. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
No country that values its independence and indeed its self-respect could agree to a treaty which signed away its economic independence and self-government. Ultimately, membership of any union that involves pooling of sovereignty can only be sustained with the consent of the people. Yes. Does the Deputy Prime Minister agree with the Prime Minister and his predecessor, yes or no? Yeah. Deputy Prime Minister. I just say to Donald Gentleman, that's why we had the referendum in, uh, uh, a few years ago. The people of Scotland have spoken, and, uh, and we think it's not the right time to, to be relitigating this issue. John Burrow. Thank you, uh, um, uh, Mr. Speaker. Speaking with Lord Ahmed yesterday, I thank the Government for now listening and allowing high-risk British Council contractors still in Afghanistan to be processed immediately upon their application to the Citizen Resettlement Scheme and not having to wait a further two months until the application window closes. With taxation at a 40-year high, when will the Government be bolder in cutting taxes given all the evidence the world over shows that lower taxes increases prosperity, raises living standards, and better enables the government to help the less fortunate, even if such a policy means cutting spending such as HS2. My honourable friend uh, makes an important point about driving growth in the economy, and that's why uh, we're uh, cutting taxes with the 130% super deduction for capital investment. That will not just create good jobs, but well-paid jobs and better-paid jobs by boosting productivity. That's why we're increasing the employment allowance, which represents a tax cut of £1,000 for half a million small businesses. That's why we've provided business rate relief of £7 billion over the next five years. And, of course, we're cutting national insurance just next month worth £330 for a typical employee. Patricia Gibbs. Thank yeah, you, yeah, Mr yeah. Speaker. As Tory MSP Murdoch Fraser points out, Scotland has a third of Britain's landmass, half its territorial waters, over 60% of UK fishing zones, 98% of oil reserves, 63% of natural gas, a quarter of Europe's offshore wind resources, and 90% of the UK's fresh water. Can the Deputy Prime Minister explain if his opposition to Scottish independence is because he fears the loss of these invaluable resources. Deputy Prime Minister. She's absolutely right in what she just said. There are huge assets right across Scotland, and that's why we think we're stronger together in delivering, in delivering for the people of Scotland. Oliver Hill. The Deputy Prime Minister will be aware that in North East Hertfordshire we have some of the best farmland in the country. And at a time when there are concerns about uh, food production, food security, uh, at a time when the government is considering uh, rural land use, isn't it time to ensure that our productive farmland isn't covered in solar plants and uh, that, they are, that they are positioned rather on brownfield sites, on buildings and on low-grade agricultural land? I think he, he makes a powerful point, and our 2023 land use framework will set out our priorities for land use across the country, and he's right that we've got to protect uh, the most versatile agricultural land, uh, and any plans, uh, plans for ground-mounted solar installations will have to take that very point into account. His point is well made. So far this year, 52 women have been killed in the UK 
Our rights to free speech, safe spaces, fairness in sport, and even yeah. the words we use to describe our own bodies are all under threat. Yeah. Will the Deputy Prime Minister send a clear signal, as some of his Cabinet colleagues have done this week, that Britain respects the rights of women, and will he accept the cross-party amendment to his forthcoming Bill of Rights, which enshrines a woman's right to choose in law? Deputy Prime Minister. Can I thank the Honourable Lady um, for her question? Can I also just say at the outset what huge respect I personally have for her with the way she stood up for women's rights? Uh, and frankly, the appalling harassment, trolling, and bullying that she's faced. Uh, the position, uh, as she knows, is settled in UK law in relation to abortion. It's decided by honourable members uh, across this House. It's an issue of conscience. I don't think there is a, a strong case for change. What I wouldn't want to do uh, is find ourselves with a greater respect in the US position where this is being uh, litigated through the courts rather than settled, as it is now settled, uh, by honourable members in this House. Well, thank you, Mr Speaker. In February 2019, the... This House uh, passed my excellent Civil Partnerships, Marriages and Deaths, the Registration Etc. Act, mandating government to extend civil partnerships to opposite-sex couples, enabling marriage records to include mothers' details, and requiring the Justice Secretary to produce a report empowering coroners to investigate stillbirths. The first two have come into force very successfully, but two and a half years on, despite further shocking revelations about deaths of babies at several hospitals, no report has yet been published, nor regulations to give coroners the powers they need. Why not? Can I, thank, uh, can I thank my honourable friend? He's absolutely right to raise this, and of course, stillbirth is a, an appalling tragedy which has the most devastating impact on families across the country. He's right, the MOJ, the DHSC, have jointly consulted on proposals to provide coroners with new powers in this regard. Uh, I have looked at this personally. We will be publishing the government's response to the consultation uh, very shortly. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. <coughs> Threatened, terrified, alone. This was how survivors of sexual violence told me they felt when they were pressured into signing non disclosure agreements and gagging clauses by their universities. No victim of sexual assault or harassment should ever be coerced into silence by the very institutions who are meant to protect them, not at university, not at work, not anywhere. So will the government back my bill to ban the use of NDAs in cases of sexual harassment, bullying and misconduct, and will the Deputy Prime Minister consider meeting with me in his role as Justice Secretary to discuss how we'll put a stop to this deplorable practice once and for all? Can I just say to the Honourable Lady, I'll look very carefully at uh, uh, any particular proposals she has. We've got to do everything we can to protect women uh, and girls in this country, uh, and also, frankly, to make them feel more confident in the justice system. That's why I'm uh, relieved, but uh, resist to go further, but relieved that the volume of rape convictions in the last year alone is up by two-thirds. Uh, and, of course, in the Police Courts uh, Sentencing and Crime Act, in force this week, uh, we have uh, taken extra measures, for example, by extending the time limit for reporting domestic abuse and also uh, criminalising uh, taking photos of a, of, a, of a mother breastfeeding without consent. And I will certainly look at the proposals that she's raised with me. Daniel Kocinski. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We are investing nearly £190 billion this year into the NHS, and yet many of us see disturbing deficiencies within NHS management, no more so than in the Shrewsbury and Telford NHS Trust. 
Four years ago, in 2018, my right honourable friend, the member for Ludlow, and I secured £312 million for a major A&E modernisation within our local hospital trust. Four years on, construction has still not started. What message can the Deputy Prime Minister give to the people of Shrewsbury as to how government can intervene to break this gridlock and finally allow the £312 million we have secured to be utilised for the benefits of the people of Shropshire and Mid Wales? My honourable friend is a doughty champion of his constituents, particularly on NHS services. The DHSC recently received the strategic outline case uh, for the transformation of A&E services in Shrewsbury and Telford. It's still being processed, but I can tell him that the Trust is aiming to present the full business case in 2023, with construction starting in the same year. Liz Savile-Roberts. When he announced his Bill of Rights last week, the Deputy Prime Minister said it will strengthen our UK tradition of freedom. Freedom, shameless, from a government whose contempt for the rule of law and devolution can be judged in equal measure. They're scrapping Welsh law against our will, denying Scotland the right to choose their own future. That isn't freedom. Will he? Will he prove me wrong? Will he prove me wrong? by enshrining self-determination in his Bill of Rights. Can I thank the Honourable Lady? I I thought it was very deft the way she got that in. I think we've all heard, actually, across uh, uh, the benches today, uh, the case for reinforcing free speech, uh, whether it's the judge-made privacy laws or some of the uh, way people are shouted down when they express legitimate opinions. And I also think that the people of Wales want to join with us, as true across the country, making sure we can deport more foreign national offenders. That is the reality for the people in Wales and across the United Kingdom, and I think the Bill of Rights will be strengthening our tradition of freedom, but also curbing those abuses and making sure we inject a bit more common sense into the system. Johnny Mercer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Derryford Hospital in my constituency is part of the new hospital bill programme announced by this government. And work on the new emergency department actually starts this year, which is a significant investment for the amazing staff there and the brilliant Chief Executive, Anne James, who works so hard. But given the incredible pressures on the real estate in Derryford, would my honourable friend consider prioritising capital investment into that part of the UK to ensure that we can accelerate these plans, particularly in digital, so that people in health in Plymouth get the world-class health care they deserve. Can I thank our honourable friend. Look, he's absolutely right. Um, and the, the, this is the largest hospital building programme in a generation, and his constituents are going to benefit very directly. I can tell him that there will be a new integrated emergency care hospital scheme for University Hospitals, Plymouth NHS Trust at the Derryford Emergency Care Hospital. And yes, on tech, he's absolutely right. The facilities will be at the cutting edge of modern technology, and that will really help drive up the quality of patient care. Bill Ferns. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The victims of black cab rapist John Warboys were only able to challenge the police's failure to investigate its appalling crimes because of the Human Rights Act. They would not have been able to do so under the Deputy Prime Minister's new so-called Bill of Rights. Why does he want to stop women like the victims of John Warboys from making sure that police protect them from rape and sexual assault and getting the justice they deserve? 
Can I thank the Honourable Lady for the opportunity that it was not the result of litigation uh, that uh, addressed the problems with the Woolboy case. And indeed, uh, if she wants to look after victims uh, in cases like that and others, the Labour Party should join with us, not just in supporting the Bill of Rights, but our parole reforms that will make sure dangerous offenders are not released and we protect the public. David Simmons. Well, thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, my constituent, Joel Lindop, has suffered the abduction of his young children to Poland, one of many families in the UK who go through a similar experience every year. And despite repeated judgments in his favour in the courts in Poland, he's been unable to persuade the Polish authorities to fulfil their obligations under international law and return those children to their family. Will my right honourable friend intercede and ensure that my constituent and the many other families who face this challenge are able to ensure that their children are returned safely and in a timely fashion in the future? Can I thank honourable friend? Look, uh, I can't imagine how appalling that situation must be for any parent uh, to find themselves in. He'll know we're committed to the uh, 1980 Hague Convention on Child uh, Abduction, and that does provide a mechanism. He's right that that's one that has to be driven through the courts, uh, uh, and that's not something we can directly interfere on. But I will make sure, and I'll speak to the Foreign Office and see if the Minister can address whether there's anything further that we can properly do to support him. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Speaker. A serious question on the conduct of the Government as regards free trade agreements. And I cannot understate the fury of the International Trade Committee uh, this morning that led us to unanimously empty chair the Secretary of State for International Trade. The Government has broken its word to the Committee, to the House and to you, Mr Speaker, on scrutiny of the Australian trade deal by triggering Krag and now endangering a Committee report. It is the unanimous view of the Committee, Mr Speaker, Tory, Labour, SNP and DUP that Crag should be delayed to allow proper scrutiny as was promised. Will the Government deliver on its promise and therefore delay Crag? I understand, Mr Speaker, that the Secretary of State for um, uh, International Trade has agreed to come back and address the Committee just as soon as possible. Mr Speaker, I was privileged last week to attend the Malaria Summit in Kigali. Even today, malaria remains the biggest single killer of mankind ever, and 1.7 billion people are living every day under its shadow of misery. But, Mr Speaker, we're on the cusp of something really special, in that recent advances, education and our British world-leading vaccines can now eradicate it forever. Can my right honourable friends please confirm that the UK will fulfil its full commitment to the Global Fund? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. Can I thank my uh, honourable friend? <laughs> I know from working at the Foreign uh, Office just how uh, powerful the Global Fund is. It's a very high-performing international organisation. Uh, he will know that since 2002 we've been the third largest donor, so we've stepped up to the plate. The, uh, the UK hasn't yet determined our pledge for the seventh replenishment, but I know the Foreign Secretary will have heard loud and clear the, uh, the, the advocacy that he's made in their regard. Final question, Bel Ribeiro, Addy. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In their efforts to pursue a hostile environment, the Home Office routinely tears families apart and breaks human rights and equalities legislation. They are reported to be sending yet another charter deportation flight to Nigeria and Ghana. In Pride Month, they will be deporting LGBT asylum seekers, 
fleeing homophobia and grandmothers and mothers of British children who have lived in this country for over 25 years. Given that the Home Office repeatedly get it wrong and end up having to take people off these flights, can the Deputy Prime Minister tell me how many people have been removed from this flight already and when will they stop these inhumane deportation charter flights? Yeah. Thank you, Honourable Lady. Look, she's right, right, at least in one respect. Of course, uh, people who come here need to be treated decently and humanely. We are absolutely committed to that. Uh, we also need to make sure uh, that, uh, um, that we cut down the illegal routes and those that are here committed serious offences can be returned home. And the crucial thing, and I'm working with the Home Secretary, is to make sure we do both of those things. But what we can't allow is illegal routes to flourish into this country, otherwise we'll just attract more. And we cannot allow people who commit serious offences in this country to stay and continue to pose a threat to the public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Questions.